Very happy to be here today with Margaret Sinclair. Uh, Margaret, thank you for being here. Margaret is a trained massage therapist, osteopath, and herbal practitioner. We'll be speaking about all those different elements that built up her career. Um, and she's with us, with us here today. So thank you very much for being here. I'm very excited to speak to you. I have a lot of questions, a lot of topics. Um, and I will start by asking you to um, really explain a bit about your background, um, what prompted this career that you're in. Um, and then we'll dive into some uh, specifics, if that's all right. Yeah, awesome. And thank you so much for having me, Danny. It's uh, really exciting to be here. It's a pleasure. It's fun. <laughs> cool. So, I mean, you were asking how I kind of got here. Um, started quite a long time ago when I was in the back of a car in a car accident and got in lots of pain and discomfort. And modern medicine, doctors, x-rays and MRIs and all sorts couldn't really answer the questions and help me. And in the end, it was uh, an osteopath and a chiropractor who helped me. And I kind of looked at that and went, uh, I wouldn't be able to do that for other people. So I trained as a massage therapist and as an osteopath. And I absolutely just love helping people. Unfortunately, I couldn't continue being an osteopath because I got arthritis in my hands, but then retrained as a herbal therapist. And I did things like emotional freedom technique, cognitive behavioral therapy, mindfulness, life coaching, just to, to find as many different ways as helping people as possible. Because I think if you've got more tools in your toolbox, you get somebody come to you with a problem, you can look at it from lots of different points of view. So I love having that variety and the different options of being able to help people in that way. So do you mind if I take you to that car accident? Yeah. Um, what career path were you on until that moment? Gosh, the truth is at that point in time, I was about to apply to be a police officer. Gosh, it feels like so, so long ago. Yeah, I was literally, I had the application form and everything, but they wouldn't naturally uh, let anybody who's had you know back problems join which is understandable given the nature of that job so it's kind of like well, what on earth do I do next and then sort of floated around a little bit and then had help from an osteopath and was just like yeah that's that's me that's that's where I want to go so was it back issues it was it was mainly back issues it was the smallest accident in the world it was just a rear end but I was being really nosy and had a seatbelt on kind of went to look between the two front seats and we were just rear-ended from that wow and what what was the issue or do you know what, instead of uh, what was the issue is, what did you feel? I felt nothing for the first day, then woke up the next day with whiplash and then just over time, more and more issues. I'm, I'm what's known as hypermobile, so my ligaments move a little bit too much. So when you get kind of an impact from behind, it's, it's, it's like a whiplash, it's like a whip. So all my ligaments just went a little bit too far, which then just caused all sorts of issues. And what, so I'm assuming you went to see a doctor um, and what was the, what, what were they telling you? What was their conclusion? What was their method of helping you at the time before you, you know, searching um, for, was it osteopath and chiropractor that you ended up going to before you saw them, before you searched for them? What was the conclusion of your issue? I just kind of whiplash, ongoing back pain, here's some painkillers. Painkillers and that's it. Yeah, I mean, bless yeah. them. They really did try and help, and they yeah. really did want to help, but they just didn't have the the tools to help. So, what did um, did you start with the chiropractor and then the osteopath, or was it the reverse? It was the reverse. I found an amazing, amazing osteopath who really got me so far, and then I moved, and then I found a chiropractor who also really helped me and and really helped me get further on with that. And do you mind elaborating on like certain things that they did um, that was that were maybe new to you at the time? Um, that really helped? It was all new to me. I'd never been to anything like that before in my life. But So you've never seen an osteopath before? You've never seen a chiropractor before? No. 
didn't but, but even what, know they existed. <laughs> but so was it from that like desperation of just having the, the the pain that you wanted to find a solution for? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't take uh, no, you can't very easily. So it was kind of like, this is what you're like forever. And I'm like, I, no, no, I'm not going to be like that. I'm going to try everything within my power to find it. So they, they did massage, they did stretching, they balanced things up. They did what we call manipulation, which is what people know as the click. Um, so just kind of rebalancing my body, getting my body working together and uh, and strengthening the parts that have got a weak, stretching out the parts that got too tight. It's it's all about balancing and creating harmony in the body and getting it functioning properly. And from that point, the pain disappears. The muscles work more easily. So today, you can can you say? I know we will speak about some other issues, but at least then, have you recovered fully from oh, that car accident? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, so no more back pains. And nope. you're, yeah, excellent, excellent. That's good. Um, and so just just by uh, them helping you, the osteopath and the um, the chiropractor, that's what inspired you to pursue that career. Yeah, absolutely. It it was it's about helping people, about empowering people, and getting people whose you know entire life is ruled by pain. Because, I mean, if, unless you've ever suffered pain, you really don't know how much you can be ruled by it. You can't, you know, do you go out for the evening because you're tired and you're taking strong painkillers and actually you're in a lot of pain. You, you don't go out. It affects all parts of your life. So yeah. actually being able to go and help people take away that pain, help them function better. And it's not just about taking away pain. It's about giving health as well. That was really important to me. It just lit this fire in me. How long from between the car accident until you visited that first uh, osteopath? Oh wow! It was so that long first ago. appointment. It was several years. A couple. Well, okay, so, yeah. so, so, but years of you experiencing this day-to-day -day pain. Yeah, that's what I think. I think that a lot of people, um, including myself, and again, in small, I'm not saying that I uh, suffer from chronic severe pain, but I think people get used to living with certain pains, right? And it's almost like um, it kills any motivation to go and find a solution for it because you almost prove to yourself that you can live with a certain discomfort and you almost adapt your whole day-to-day -day lives. You adapt your relationships, you adapt what you do, you adapt your, your hobbies just to live with this pain instead of maybe finding a solution. Um, and I think also maybe people feel like they are forced to adapt to this pain because if they follow traditional um methods of solving pains or injuries or whatever the case might be um, they might hit many dead ends um, and a prescription for drugs might be a dead end for a lot of people um, or what people believe is best case scenario um, so i think also something that we at neil asher always push is is that we're modality agnostic that we we're there to support really any modality that has evidence behind it and has helped people and that will continue helping people um, live better lives, um, experience less pain, recover from injuries faster, better. Um, so, it took, so years of experiencing that, um, you visited the chiropractor, you visited an osteopath, that inspired you and then was it, um, so you chose osteopathy, was that your first, um, first stop for studying? Yeah, I, I, I just wanted to say you, you were talking about adapting. You, you kind of adapt and adapt. But I think there's there's often a point where you just can't adapt anymore. And that's the point where you have to really do something. And I think a lot of people find that pain with any part of their life. I think that's that's kind of what it is. We're, humans are brilliant at adapting. We really, truly are amazing at adapting. But I think you can get to that point where you just you just can't anymore. And that, that's kind of the point where I really started seeking help. Um, and I loved my chiropractor and I loved my osteopath. And they both really helped me. But when I sat down to look at the different ways that they teach 
and and what they teach um, about the body. Just osteopathy called to me a little bit more. It felt a little bit more holistic. You know, I've, I've met great osteopaths and great chiropractors. I, I would always just say to anybody, if you're looking for somebody, pick someone you like and you can trust. But from a learning modality, the osteopathy was just sort of called me a bit more. And then when did massage therapy come in? It was um, while I was studying to be an osteopath. So the way that I did it, I did three years part time and then two years full time. And I realized quite quickly I would like to get involved in in doing something quicker. So I, I trained up in my first year of um, osteopathy college to be a sport massage therapist and work part time during study. So how was that? So you're, you're an individual who experienced pain. Your pain was treated, solved uh, by visiting an osteopath, by visiting a chiropractor. Now you're in a position where you're helping people. Um, how did that feel? Oh God, I loved it. <laughs> I loved it. I mean, I'm not academically gifted. I have to work really hard to pass exams and stuff. So for me, studying to be an osteopath was actually really hard. But every single time I went into that clinic room and helped somebody, it was like, this is who I am. I just love this. Yeah. Is there any, um, any specific uh, moment or patient that really like, that was the moment for you when you realized you're going to continue doing this and you're almost uh, hooked on helping people? Probably yes. So what you do is you get to kind of the end of sort of partway through your qualification and, and then they get you into a clinic. It's a special student run clinic. Um, and you kind of go and spend a couple of weeks there in summer. And initially you're you're supposed to watch and then you start doing, um, but whilst being watched, you, you start treating whilst being watched and going in and talking to the person and stuff. But due to kind of just uh, I think people were sick and everything else. I ended up my first client on my on my own that I was going to do on my own. And I kind of just sat there and went, okay, well, I've done massage. I, I can do this. I know what I'm meant to be doing. I've watched enough. And I just came out there going, this is exactly what I want to do. I want to help people get better, be happy, be healthy for the rest of my life. I loved it. Came out buzzing. And were you on the, um, on you went to visit an osteopath when you hit a dead end almost with your specific pain and injury. Did you meet people along your career who were in similar positions that have been experiencing pain for a long time? Um, and now finally they've maybe uh, branched out and came to see someone like you and you were able to, you know, almost, I don't want to make it too uh, fancy, but save them, save them from um, that maybe quiet desperation that they were living with that pain. I, I think saving's a bit strong. Um, I, it, we, Me too. We just look at it from a different point of view. And often it, even if you don't know absolutely exactly what's going on and why it's being caused, if you can get the rest of the body working better, it takes the strain off whatever isn't working very well and is causing the discomfort and the pain. And that will start to get better in itself. So it's it's kind of, yeah, I've had loads of people come to me going, I've had x-rays, I've had MRIs, I've had ECGs, I've had this, I've had that. I've been to the doctor and doctor, I spent thousands of pounds. And actually just getting them functioning better and looking at it from a health, get the body healthy point of view, that really does work for people. There have been people I couldn't help along the way and I, that always eats at me. But, you know, 99 times out of 100, you're getting somebody walking away feeling much healthier and happier and you know, in much less pain than when they came in. When did uh, herbal therapy, is it herbal therapy? <laughs> yes. Um, come in, yeah. Yeah, so that was kind of a happy accident. I've always been interested in natural therapies, find it fascinating as to how it all works. And um, 
my mum and I decided to go and do a course together just as something to do together because we love doing that kind of stuff. And we ended up going to see a course run by this amazing therapist called Christina Stapley. And she was running a one day course on how herbs can be used as antibiotics. Blew my mind. Just I, my mum walked out going, well, that was nice. And I came out going, my mind, my life has just changed. That blew my mind. I want to learn more. And at that point, did you already start experiencing some problems with arthritis? That was a bit before then. So before then, you already yeah. discovered this herbal yeah. Uh, therapy? Yeah, that and the emotional freedom technique, I'd already discovered those. Okay, so I want to dive into those, but I also I first want to ask you about the arthritis. Mm. Uh, when in your career did that start surfacing? Um, and was it because of treating and using and... Yeah, it's because I'm hypermobile. My joints move just a little bit too much. So it started just sort of just creating too much wear. And I kind of had to say I either stop now or I carry on and I really hurt myself. Um, and I I resisted for too long, but I did I did in the end kind of have to say, I've got to, I've got to call time on this and, and move forward. I very recently discovered this term uh, being hypermobile. Um, and when it was brought to my attention... Um, since it's been brought to my attention, I've now I notice it everywhere. I can see it on people sometimes. I, you know, things that maybe I've I should have seen but was just ignorant to for so long. Um, but I also know that uh, with hypermobile, you um, you are at risk for many for many conditions out there that maybe you would not be at risk um, if you weren't hypermobile. So, is are, are you? Are people that are hypermobile more at risk of suffering from arthritis in their life? Um, yes, because the joints just move a little bit too much. There's kind of a scale of hypermobility. At the extreme end, you've got things like Marfan's, where they've they're increased risk of um, aortic aneurysms, heart conditions, gastrointestinal condition stuff. And at the other end, you know, people in my family, they will you know dislocate shoulders. I mean, I've dislocated my shoulder before. My brother dislocated his knee before. So it kind of everything just moves a little bit too much. When did you discover that, that you were hypermobile? Oh, I've known for a very long time. Always, it was yeah. always in discussion and it was always a thing because a lot of people also don't know that they're hypermobile until it's brought to their attention. Yeah, so it was probably just before I started the osteopathy. Wow. Um, and did it restrict you in any way of being hypermobile until obviously the arthritis surfaced? Um, no, I carried on quite blissfully um, <laughs> yeah. treating and doing and then kind of, um, I mean, it was probably about four or five years ago it sort of kicked in properly yeah. and I, I had to kind of go ah that's that's that I mean I was gutted I couldn't continue being an osteopath but I knew that I could continue helping people and empowering people in another way a lot of our listeners um in general audience are massage therapists um it is very labor intensive yeah years and years day to day um really using your own body to try and fix other people's body uh, bodies um how can how can massage therapists better maintain their bodies so that they can perform and um, continue their careers for longer? I think I think it's about technique, having really good technique because it's really easy to be sloppy. Um, it's really easy to just kind of, you know, hunch over with your back and, and, and use things. But, you know, learn to not just use your hands, you know, use your sort of the palms of your hands, your elbows and, you know, even things like blades, which have come out now where you can use and that kind of thing and just be, be effective um, when treating. You don't have to do masses and masses, but just technique. I think if you can watch your technique, you will often take a lot of the pressure off the joints that are more, much more vulnerable. 
So arthritis started surfacing. How long, um, so from the moment that you started realizing it, um, how long could you continue for until you stopped practicing? I probably continued for about a year. And then it was just too much to endure? Yeah. Yeah. And now are you in day-to-day -day, uh, discomfort, pain? No, no, thankfully uh, not. I mean, I still do sort of occasionally treat a couple of people. Um, and if I do sort of maybe more than five a week, I get a bit achy, but thankfully I stopped before I did any proper damage. And is it just in your palms and fingers? It's just in the finger joints. The just in the finger joints that you experience it, yeah. yeah. Um, and has herbal therapy helped you um, with arthritis or with any injuries that you've personally experienced? Absolutely. So you went to this course with your with your mum. Yeah. Um, you thought it was absolutely mind-blowing. And then, yeah, describe to me that process. You just started digging into it and experimenting? Just uh, reading more, going on more of the courses, um, and then and then doing a course to become a, a herbal therapist. Um, and then just kind of, I go foraging near where I live for herbs, and I'm always coming back with bags full of stuff to dry and make tinctures with and, and, and make balms and stuff. And knowing which herbs to use so if you sprain your ankle or you sprain a ligament you can use those herbs on there using it for sort of you know hormonal issues um pain discomfort that kind of stuff it just kind of becomes a little bit obsessive really yeah but but you, but, you, but you did spend a lot of time experimenting and like seeing what effects certain herbs have on you personally and then using that knowledge to um to transfer to um help other people or speak about it to other people how did you involve the herbal therapy in your day-to-day -day meeting with clients and patients i mean kind of the experiments i do on myself i don't massively translate them to other people um because there's, there's, it's quite prescriptive. So if you do the qualification, these are the ones that you use and you kind of just work out which ones are best. If you've got a selection of herbs that you could use for this one condition for this person, it's like, well, what are they like? What other medication are they taking? What's best for them? What other herbs are we going to combine it with? What's best for that? It's it's quite complicated. Yeah, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm sure. Does, um, also out of interest, does cannabis fall under the umbrella of, of herbs? CBD oil, some people do use. It's not part of the herbal therapy qualification I have, um, but cannabis in, in the UK is a very legal grey area. Very legal grey area, yeah. Um, but does it, if it was like 100% legal in all aspects, um, does it fall under the umbrella of, of herbs, cannabis technically? I mean, not the qualifications I've done, but I'm guessing yeah. if probably when it becomes legal, let's be honest, given the way America's gone, um, the medicinal ones, they're, they're uh, from what I can tell, they've they've bred medicinal versions, which are much more potent in the pain killing rather than the getting stoned. So a lot of people will take those for the pain killing, you know, medicinal benefits. I know people with multiple sclerosis who have benefited massively from getting hold of both medicinal cannabis and and standard cannabis. Um, so there, there there's massive potential there medically and assistance wise and i suspect it will probably come a little bit under the herbal medicine but will probably be under standard medicine for getting access to it yeah um but do you think i'm just asking that because you know i can see a lot of people being exposed to herbal therapy um and not believing in it instantly um and i'm sure you face that backlash uh, many many a times um so to me at least you know when i um when you know you hear so many success stories 
when it comes to cannabis, when it comes to, you know, especially the, the pain killing, um, uh, just people being able to maintain these illnesses and diseases and pains that they have um, due to cannabis. So almost seeing the success of cannabis um, helps me believe in other herbs as well and makes me think that, well, maybe every herb out there has some element that could help people. Um, so what is it? What what is it? I know you have, um, and I know you wrote a a guidebook even. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Something along the lines of herbs in your kitchen that can help you today. Um, so what are these herbs that are sitting in our kitchen, in everyone's kitchens, um, that could be helping us, but we're just letting sit there and only use it if it's on the recipe or if someone tells us to add it to a specific soup um, or dish. Actually, it's a free online course. So if anybody wants to download it, it's free. It's uh, that kind of information I think needs to be shared. Yeah, there's there's so many herbs. And we kind of when you think about herbal therapy, you think I've got to go and buy some herbs, some specific exotic herbs, or I've got to go foraging for it. And actually, there's a whole bunch of herbs in your cupboard. Um, things like rosemary is great for muscle relaxant. You've got mint, which is really great for headaches and digestive issues. And you've got, you know, chamomile tea, which is you know, for relaxing. It's fantastic for that kind of stuff. So before you run out and go and get something and spend more money, just have a look in your cupboard. There's there's herbs there that medicinally the benefits are fantastic. And lots of plants have medicinal benefits. There's also a downside to it. If you've got some medical conditions, some herbs aren't appropriate. If you're on some medications, some herbs aren't appropriate. Um, and that's, yeah, that's really important to know those things. Yeah. Um, so specific herbs can interfere with medications that people take. Yeah, absolutely. So things like um, hawthorn berries are fantastic for helping with lower cholesterol. Um, it helps, you know, heal the heart and that kind of thing, improve the health of cardiovascular. So therefore, if you've got any heart issues or blood pressure issues, you've got to use it very cautiously. And if you're on medication for that, you've got to kind of understand that they're going to be both maybe doing the same thing, which will cause too much of a problem so it's all going to be done quite carefully so even the herbs that you buy packaged in the uh, supermarket um, have these benefits or do they go through specific packaging processes or um, you know different things along the supply chain from the moment that they were picked from the ground and all the way to the supermarket and then to someone's kitchen they still maintain some benefit yeah absolutely dried herbs are fantastic you know if you get some herbs and dry them they'll be good medicinally for about a year year and a half well and after year and a half it just goes down a little you know it's been around for a little while so i mean you can go and buy some sage from tesco's or sainsbury's and you can use that um for example if you have hot flushes from the menopause sage tea is fantastic for it but you've then got to be a little bit aware if you have lots of it, it also can affect the uptake of things like iron and other things. So if you're taking iron supplements, take it a couple of hours either side of, of having some sage tea. But yeah, the stuff that's in the cupboard, it's just as good. Wow. Um, so do you, you know, is that something that you spread even in your in your close family friend circle, um, expanding and pushing herbs um, into kitchens? Uh, yeah, most people will get stuff at Christmas that contain herbs that I've grown or put or bought or foraged. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. Some of them must hate you. Oh no, they. Yeah. I get requests. Really? By the time sort of October gets around, it's like, can I can I have some of the herb balm that helps my hands? Can I have some of this, please? It's like, yep, yeah, absolutely. I'll get making it. Well, wow, that's fantastic. Um, and. 
I know you work specifically with um, women who go through menopause. Um, and do you use herbs specifically for that as well? Yeah, that's one of the groups of people I help. And herbs can really fantastically help with that. And because some women don't want to take HRT and that's fine. You know, some people take HRT, it doesn't work for them. Others take HRT and it doesn't quite get everything. And the great thing about herbs is if you come to somebody like me who knows what they're doing and the interactions that can happen, you can use herbs to kind of balance things out, help people sleep better through the night, calm people down, help with the hot sweats, just balance out the hormones a little bit. So you, that's what you use it for, for balancing out. So you, uh, someone comes in and you speak to them and you you assess their situation. So it's not like a set menu for everyone who's going through menopause. So it, no. No, it, it depends what their medical his, um, history is. So, for example, a herb like red clover is fantastic uh, at providing phytoestrogens, which is like the plant version of estrogen. But if you've got somebody who's had something like breast cancer, you can't give that to them because, you know, the breast cancer cells will feed on the estrogen. So you've kind of got to know their case history. I mean, it's, it's a big, long case history. Like, like most therapies, when someone comes in, you do a case history, what's going on now? What medication are you on? What's happened to you in the past? So you can you can get an idea of their health and, and work to improve it. And when women find you, does it seem like it's a, also a last resort or it's something that they're just experimenting along the way? Um, or do they not know what they're jumping into? It's probably a bit of all three. <laughs> Some people, yeah, they come to me and they're like, oh my God, I've tried HRT. It didn't work. I can't sleep through the night. That's one of the biggest complaints understandably slow if you're not if you're not sleeping through the night everything is harder you know when you're tired everything gets more stressed so they kind of come to me and, ah, the hot sweats are driving me up the wall I can't sleep through the night I'm becoming a grumpy monster around my my partner my kids my work it's just all falling apart and then you get other people who are like no I want to take um, herbs please can you please help me it you know it really does depend on, on the person's journey yeah um and on that journey that each individual person uh, exp um, experiences, um, is there something that is like one size fits all that everyone or every, I'll start with women, every, every woman who is going through menopause should be taking, should be supplementing with specific herb? No, no, no. because there are so many side effects and so many different things you've got to be concerned with. I wouldn't say uh, every woman should take this. It, it really does kind of depend on, on the person and their situation. And is there, okay, now for the general population, is there something that you recommend for at least most people that they should definitely be using, eating, adding to their, whatever they're making? I mean, that's really tricky. I think that's more of a health thing. So have a variety of kitchen herbs in your diet. Have a, a real variety of kitchen herbs and spices. I think if you do that, you'll find actually health will really seriously improve. If you start adding your, your cinnamon, your nutmeg, your ginger, your, your rosemary, your thyme, your sage, by doing all that, I mean, they all have lots of micro and macronutrients anyway so if you can do that that'll improve your health um but taking one specific herb i yeah i'm not gonna <laughs> i'm not I'm no not i'm asking from a selfish perspective <laughs> you know i want to know what to, what what to use tonight when i go home <laughs> pretending as if i cook um i do cook <laughs> yeah, sometimes cook. <laughs> um but when, and when the when the ingredients when the herbs go through a heating process are they affected negatively? Most of them, no. A couple of herbs you really shouldn't heat or shoot and heat by quite high, but all of the kitchen herbs, pretty much that I'm thinking of right now, yeah, they can all be... Yeah, and they maintain their their positive um, components that they um, provide us with. Yeah, the only one I can think of that wouldn't would be garlic. Mm. So, I mean, garlic is a fantastic antibacterial, antiviral, and it's 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 really brilliant in instead of sort of 
So I'll give you an example. Um, I've got four cats. We didn't mean to have four cats. It just kind of happened. Uh, one of them was attacked on his tail and it got infected. And we took him to the vets and he got antibiotics and it didn't work. And the infection was spreading. And I took him to the vets and they said, right, we're going to do a special test to make sure we find out exactly which bacteria this, this infection is so we can target it better. But if we don't get on top of it in a couple of days, we need to remove his tail. Otherwise, it's going to get into the spinal cord. It's not an answer you want to hear. So I went home and I crushed some garlic. Now, you've got to be really careful. Cats and garlic don't mix internally. It can kill a cat. It will destroy their insides. But what I did was I got garlic made into a liquid, held him down, put it straight onto the wound and then bound it so he couldn't get to it. The next day, it had stopped spreading. The day after, it was drying up and dying. Within three days, the infection was nearly gone. Well. Wow. And have you experienced something, maybe not as extreme, but something along those lines with, with humans too? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Yeah, sort of wounds and injuries. Garlic, fantastic for that. But if you heat garlic up, it destroys that property. Really? Yeah. Okay. So, you know, that's the only one I can think of off the top of my head right now that you would find in the kitchen. But, you know, you can cook with ginger, you can cook with all the other spices, and it will be absolutely fine. Well, so specifically with garlic, then if you do want to get the health benefits from it, then not to take it through a heating process, not to cook it. Yeah. Well, okay. So make so, it hummus. Yeah. <laughs> so that's something. Look, that's something important that everyone can uh, can uh, you know use and eat um, and get the benefit from. Um, and I want to talk to you a bit about writing. I know you you have a, f a few books that you've written. Um, and one of them did catch my eye and it is in the, we're still speaking about it, herbs here. Um, also about the, um, your apocalyptic herbs. <laughs> so it was, yeah, it's called the apocalyptic herb guide. Um, the idea came about during the first lockdown. So my wife and I, we were just kind of sitting there chatting. And at that time I was having difficulty getting some of the herbs over from India that I use for my clients. And also we were hearing things, there were difficulty getting other medicines like HRT was becoming hard to find because we couldn't import it. Paracetamol was starting to get a bit, a bit difficult to get. And I kind of went, well, what would happen? You know, sort of what would happen if we couldn't get any medicines or medical help? And I kind of sat there and went, well, I'm all right. Because, you know, I'm sitting in a garden where I grow a lot of herbs. I go forage on the downs. There's loads of stuff locally that I could use for most of the conditions that I think of. And I kind of thought, well, actually, that sounds like a really good course. So I spent two years researching, making sure I knew exactly what was going on and and and, and what to use and in, in the UK. So predominantly in the UK, Northern Europe and some of the Americas and kind of just researched that and wrote an online course. And then a couple of people said, actually, it would be really helpful as a guide in, in, in like on paper. So I then transferred it over to the book. Um, so, yeah. No, so because since COVID, even until today, there are shortages with some medicines, people finding it difficult to get their hands on certain medication that they were used to taking on an ongoing basis. Yeah. Um, so it can be, I guess, very important. But the, the name did catch <clears throat> did catch my, uh, my attention. Um, and I think also important because also, you know, um, showing people that maybe they should also expand their knowledge in terms of what other things could help them and not just rely on that prescription that they pick up every month or every few weeks uh, from the chemist. Um, so that is cool. But and with your process of writing, um, so was it during COVID where you started writing? 
I'm kind of collecting, collating all the information, putting it down into a way that I could understand and then writing the course, the, the online course, you know, the, the sort of on video and everything else. So I try and keep all my information quite succinct. It's not, it's not really fluffy. It's not uh, full of lots of anecdotes. It's not full of lots of the science. It's a case of, you know, th this is what you use for this. This is how you take it. And this is how you prepare it. Really simple, easy to use and, and very direct. And I called it the apocalyptic herb guide because it was kind of like, what happened if the apocalypse happens? <laughs> yeah. Then we then we know what to do. We know what to eat. We know what to use. Now, are some herbs, um, are they, you know, I, I want to think of other ways of consuming them besides eating. What are some other ways of getting the benefits from herbs without actually eating them? So not all herbs are suitable for taking internally. So, for example, comfrey. Some places do eat it, but there is an issue with um, the liver. It can affect the liver. So you can use it as what's called a poultice. And essentially a poultice is where you mash it up into a puree and then you put it directly onto the skin and the active compounds will go into the skin. And it's a much more direct way of using it. So that that is another way that you can use it. So another way is actually like, yeah, creating some sort of um, uh, puree, you said, and then yeah. using it on your skin. And any other ways? I mean... You know, I'm thinking of uh, cannabis uh, brings to my mind smoking. Um, is smoking a way to consume? On one or two herbs, some people have used it as smoking. So, for example, there's um, it's a weed that grows all over the place called mugwort. And in the past, and still I suspect at the present, if you dry it and smoke it, it can give a slight psychedelic high. <laughs> um, it's it's uh, known as gypsy um gypsy weed so because they, they used to smoke it but it's yeah it's an it's um it's a relative of the absinthe um, wormwood herb very interesting so okay so there's you can turn it into puree so obviously a sect of herbs can be smoked um drinking obviously in teas and stuff like that is yeah. one anything else um you can make massage oils you can make um balms which is essentially the massage oil mixed with um beeswax or a form of vegan wax to just to make it a bit more solid and easier to apply how do you how do you combine now your knowledge of you know your experience as a massage therapist as an osteopath and now as a herbal practitioner how do you combine those um, how do you combine the osteopathy, the massage therapy, and the herbs? Or even if you know, if you if you have colleagues, friends, people that you know who are practicing osteopath, practicing massage therapists, how do you bring herbs to their attention? When can herbs help? When should they start thinking of herbs? When should they be referring a client to someone like yourself who knows what to do with herbs? I, oh gosh, that's a difficult question. It's it's just about talking about them. I'm I'm quite expressive about talking about them and what can be done with them and and how can be they can be used to help people. Um, and I I combine it because I mean osteopathy gave me a fantastic foundation in in medical knowledge of how the body works, um, how, what pathologies there are, what how the pathologies work. So I can take that information and that was a great foundation for using herbs. Um, and there are many things, like I mentioned, massage oils. So there's there's quite a few massage oils that can be made with the herbs that can then be used directly. Um, and I do have some of the osteopaths that I know who will refer to me if people got kind of chronic things like um, osteoarthritis and, and other conditions that are affecting their body. And osteopathy is maybe not quite doing everything 100%, but using it combined with herbs by sending them to me and me working with the osteopath really can help them. What are some backlash that you receive or have received? Because I'm, I'm assuming 
that not everyone is accepting of this. Um, again, we know this because some things that we promote, teach, we get backlash for, um, even though it's never us picking one side, it's we just see everything as the same. Um, so what is some backlash that you receive and has that whatever that was, has it affected you um, in pursuing herbal um, therapy? Uh, I've had less backlash using herbal therapy than I did as an osteopath, which is really interesting because I've never really thought before you asked that question. But yeah, it's... Um, I'll ask you to expand about that as yeah. well, if you don't mind, the uh, backlash as an osteopath. Well, yeah, people just think it's nonsense, you know, it's, you know and, and, and manipulations are considered um, very, very dangerous. There is a danger to it, just like there is a danger to, you know, when you go and have your hair um, cut and you're leaning backwards and, and having your your hair washed there there are instances of you know problems from that so it's it's about education and, and making sure that everything is as safe as can possibly be um but I, you know, I've I've um I actually wrote my final year dissertation on placebo effect because I was talking to a doctor or I was being talked at and down to by a doctor oh osteopathy it's just all placebo effect isn't it and I thought well I wonder I wonder what part of osteopathy is placebo effect and what's wrong with having a placebo effect and maybe learning how to increase it. So actually I did my final year dissertation on the placebo effect, which I found quite fascinating. When it comes to herbs, some people just... What was your, sorry, what was your conclusion there? Do you know what? It was, it was really interesting. So you look at all the different studies that have been done in the past and there is a big proportion of anything that is done that's placebo effect, whether it's psychotherapy, whether it's um, surgery, whether it's medicinal, whether it's herbs, whether it's osteopathy there is a percentage that will be placebo effect. Um, what I found was that the more- Which is astounding. It, it, it is and it isn't kind of, if you're comparing two things and the one that is, say you've got a tablet. So you've got a, ta a tablet with medicine and a tablet with sugar. The tablet with sugar is going to have a certain percentage of people who get better. Well, surely that's going to be exactly the same on the other side because it's that placebo effect. And then hopefully whatever's on top is the increase in the medicinal properties of that. You also get nocebo, which is the opposite of positive. So if you say to somebody, okay, the possible side effects of this medication are headaches and nausea. If you give somebody this sugar tablet, some of them are going to get headaches and nausea. So it works both ways. But I found that things like surgery has a higher placebo effect. Taking an injection has a higher placebo effect. The shape of tablets actually has a massive placebo effect and it's different in each country. So one country likes hexagonal tablets, another one likes caplets, another likes capsules. It's really interesting. Incredible. It's, it's mad. It's, it, the brain is an amazing thing. And yeah, that's, that's what I mean when I say astounding is like how much um, really power we have within. Yeah. I mean, there was, um, there was a really famous study where they had knee arthroscopies where they make two little incisions, they go inside the knee, they clean it up, all the little sort of bits and pieces behind the, the patella, and then they sew it up. And they did um, some sham ones where they just literally put them under, made two incisions, sewed them up, and then said, you've had the operation. The people who had the placebo surgery had just as much positive effect afterwards. And long term, they had less negative effects because the actual capsule of the knee hadn't been broken into, which I thought was really interesting. Really interesting. Really, just it just shows us like really how much power um, there is. But is it subconscious power? I think I think our power to heal is huge. We just haven't tapped into it. 
or maybe are we not tapping into it as one, but also taking actions that actually negate the he- the natural healing process of our bodies? Because, for example, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think everyone, everyone, everyone agrees that the most important thing for your health is sleep. Yes. I'm sure in your close family friend circle, you know, at least a few people that do not sleep enough, don't sleep well, but people don't prioritize it. People prioritize other things than trying to get an extra 30 minutes of sleep or an extra hour of sleep or an extra hour and a half of sleep. But, you know, we'd, we'd rather watch another episode on Netflix. That's what I was just thinking. Yeah, <laughs> and, and which is, you know, everyone. Um, so like the the natural healing process is there, but we're impeding it from really doing its thing. Um which is also kind of scary um, and also kind of ties us back to the one of the first things we were talking about is how, um, you know, us as people, we, we get used to living with uh, certain conditions, but also because maybe we know that, you know, if I do want to get this little pain that I have in my back sorted, um, but I also want to, you know, watch the new season of Peaky Blinders, and I'll sleep on the I'll, on the weekend. I'll sleep, you know. Um, I on the weekend I'll do that, or next year in 2023, 2024 I'll start. Um, so we kind of maybe we like this cycle. Maybe it keeps us going. This cycle of feeling slight pain and not doing everything we can to manage and sort it. Um, because it, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what the reason is, uh, but it definitely is fascinating and definitely is, um, and we, we know, we know that we have this natural healing process within us. Uh, maybe we don't trust it enough. That's what I, uh, sometimes think maybe people don't trust that if they sleep enough, if they eat healthy, if they do the right things to allow your body just to do its thing, they will feel better, they will be happier, they will be less anxious, their bodies will feel smoother and lighter, but maybe we just don't trust it. Um, or, sorry that I'm rambling here, or maybe it's um, we know how much work is required to allow our body to, bodies to do just its thing, um, then we just choose not to do it. Um, but I'll um, allow you to uh, talk to me a bit about the backlash on um, that was on osteopathy, um, on the herbal um, therapy. Um, I, I think what you were saying though was quite important. It's it's change though. D- d- humans don't like change very much. They have their little comfort zone, and that's that's comfortable. And and pushing outside of that is quite it's quite difficult. And creating creating good habits always seems so much harder than than creating bad habits. And that extra episode of Peaky Blinders, because it's really good and it's designed to make you want to watch the next one. And, and you know, it's fine. It's just an hour's extra, you know, no lack of sleep. And, and like you were saying, and I think sometimes we just need to prioritize what's important to us. And until until our health starts to fail, often most people won't think it's important to us. So they won't get the extra hour's sleep. They won't eat slightly healthier food. They won't go for a 20 minute walk they won't drink more water so those those changes only really happen from what i've seen when people almost have an epiphany that that kind of moment of actually i need to change something here i can't i can't keep going on because i mean it's einstein's definition of insanity isn't it doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result and we will often sit there going i'll start i'll start on monday i'll start on monday i'll start in the new year 
I hate New Year's resolutions. I never do that because it's just it's just kind of guaranteed that within a couple of weeks you're going to fail. But yeah, so. <laughs> but yes, you're asking about backlash. I've had very little backlash in regards to herbal medicine. People are interested on their knots. They don't really have a passion against it. But I have come across some people who have a real passion against osteopathy and, and what it can be perceived as because everyone just perceives it as clicking and vicious and quite aggressive, whereas there is a huge scale. You know, I, I also have cranial osteopathy, which is incredibly gentle and, and sort of nurturing and is, is as far away from clicking as possible. I remember having, gosh, I think lovely little old lady in her 90s. And she came to me with neck problems and she said, oh, the nurse said, don't let you click my neck. And it's like, that is as far away as what I would ever do to somebody in your situation. We're just going to do very gentle massage and some cranial work. Don't worry. There is no clicking. I'm not going to, I'm not going to threaten you at all, but you get people feeding in this information and people start getting a bit of a backlash against it. But thankfully with herbs, people are either interested or not. I mean, I, Go for it. I'm really lucky. I live near the South Downs, right next to them. So I am often up there picking stuff and into little bags and yeah, miles away from everybody else. But if, if people see me, they're like, what are you picking? What do you use it for? What are you interested in? Uh, so people are quite interested. And actually, it's got to the point now where I lead guided walks um, of groups of people up on the South Downs, teaching them, this is how do you identify the herb. This is what the herb is. This is what it can be used for. This is when not to use it. And this is how you can use it. And people are really enjoying that. Does mushrooms fall under the category of herbs? <laughs> no, I get asked this a lot. I hate mushrooms. So no. <laughs> yeah. Why do you hate mushrooms? They squeak on your teeth. No, it's a texture thing. I can't cope. <laughs> but that mushrooms are really specific and a lot of mushrooms look similar. It's a real specialism. Um, there's a lovely lady called Fern down in the south and she does mushroom foraging courses um, and they are always really booked up really quickly because it's very popular. Um, but she's the person I refer people to for mushrooms because I know. I think they're fascinating. Me too. I read it. Yeah, please. No, I was going to say, you know, if, if you read about them, they're, they're fascinating species. They, you know, there's sort of multiple sexes and, you know, they're not male or female. And some of them are more related to humans than others. And I know. I recently read that humans are more related to mushrooms than humans are related to to plants than they're related to animals um so it's it's it really is fascinating uh, brilliant yeah and have, yeah. You, have you read the book uh hidden life of trees i have not you need to read the hidden life of trees i know it's slightly off topic but it's it talks about the um this network of fungi underneath the woodlands and, and then the plants and attached to all the trees that help them send water and nutrients and information and help support the whole network. You've got uh, mother trees that will support their offspring. I mean, how they know that that little oak tree is their specific offspring, I have no idea, but they do. And they will support that to help it grow more. Brilliant book. Fascinating. Uh, so we were speaking about like the, the natural healing process and I'll connect it to your company's name is the Nadara process. Yeah. Um, can you explain the the history, why you chose that name and what it means? Um, I know what it means only because I looked it up after I was introduced to you, uh, but I'm assuming most people don't. No, it's uh, whenever you start a business, you're kind of like, what, what am I going to call it? Um, and I do have part of my, my sort of ancestors who are from Scotland. So I had a look at what the Celtish word for natural is and it's Nadara. So it simply means the natural process. With that, you offer, I know one of the things I wanted to speak to you about was the emotional freedom therapy. 
Is it emotional freedom therapy? Yeah, EFT, emotional freedom technique. And what what does that entail? So I wish to I wish to caveat this with the first Please. time anybody told me that showed me this, I thought they were bonkers. Yeah. So it's it's called the tapping technique as well. Tapping and, technique. And you tap a series of points on your body, um, and there are various explanations as to how this works uh, some east some western philosophies but basically it just works and it's brilliant and what you do is you combine it with what i would call sort of a phrase a sentence so you would say you can use it for feelings you can use it for emotions you can use it for physical sensations so i started using it with people for their pain so you would say even though i'm in pain i deeply and completely love and accept myself and then do a variety of different tapping now the first time i got introduced to this i went you're barking, aren't you? You want me to tap and say this at the same time? And they went, trust me. Within five minutes, I'm sitting there on my phone, Googling how to become a therapist in this technique because it was, it's like an old fashioned stereo and you basically turn the volume down and you can use it with, I'm anxious or I'm angry or I'm frustrated or, you know, limiting beliefs. I'm not good enough, even though I feel I'm not good enough. And it just dials things down. And anybody can use this. This is the wonderful thing is I teach people the basics. And like, if you're in a situation where you're stressed, you get this sorted. You've got a presentation to give. You can bring that anxiety and stress down. But if you work with a therapist, you can really dig deep into different issues and problems and just evaporate them so easily. Yeah, actually like evaporate. You've experienced evaporating people's emotions. Yeah, wow. Yeah. And something people you said can do themselves, but including the tapping? Yes. as well yeah so you just teach somebody the tapping it's like routine it's the same thing over and over mm. again and and teach them how to make the phrase which is really simple i mean even though i'm angry i deeply and completely love and accept myself even though i'm frustrated you know it, it can be just take that out and put anything in even though i'm in pain whatever and then you just do the technique and literally within a couple of goes you're just turning the dial down and do you do you think that a part of that therapy is people actually saying something that maybe they just wouldn't say in any other setting? That's part of it. I think also just saying, I deeply and completely love and accept myself is saying, and it's okay. Because often we can be really frustrated at ourselves for having thoughts, feelings, and emotions, and we can be really hard on ourselves. And just saying that over and over again, you're saying, even though that's there, it's okay. Even though that's happening, it's okay. And that acknowledgement, I think, is really freeing. Plus, you're verbalizing it, like you said. And the, the points that you use are also acupuncture points. So there is an element of breaking that cycle. When do people come to you for emotional therapy? Um, is it also like as a last resort? Or is it also seen as maintenance by some people where they... They feel like they're needed on an ongoing basis. So most people that I use EFT for, I use it as part of the package. So they don't necessarily go, Margaret, I'd like some EFT with you, please. They kind of, I have stress and anxiety courses that I do. So people will come and they suffer from stress and anxiety. And it's one of the many things that I will do because I'm, I'm a real believer in teaching people techniques and information because then they can take that away. That's, that's empowerment. If I teach you how to be mindful, if I teach you what herbs are good for you, if I teach you about EFT, you've got that forever to make sure that you have a happy, healthy life. And that's that's kind of what I love. That's why I get out of bed for is, is to help people do that. It's not, I want you to come back to me forever. 
I'm, you know, I'm here for the problem now. And if there's a big problem later, but actually I would love to set you up so that you don't really need me anymore, which I know sounds odd, but that's, that's so they, they can maintain themselves, yeah. um, on an ongoing basis. Um, but with these types of therapies, um, do you think that people, you know, a lot of people nowadays, um, it's, it's an, it's not, I'm not, I'm not saying anything, um, you know, uh, new here, um, but people suffering from anxiety, it seems like on the rise, um, or at least people are speaking about it more and more and more. Um, a lot of the times people choose certain paths, whether it's medications, whether it's, um, you know, seeing a psychologist, seeing a, a, um, a psychiatrist, there's many different uh, conditions, many different solutions for them. Uh, but is there a foundation of certain things that people ignore, like things like this, where they can be working on themselves on an ongoing basis, that they, again, you, based on your experience with clients, they choose to ignore, and they, they want to go on the, the easy route um, instead of taking the time to work on themselves. And I'll throw another thing. I was going to ask you about breath work and if that's something that you also implement within this. I do. I use a lot of breath work. Breath work can be really mindful and it also changes the biochemistry of the body, which can help with calming things down. Because uh, when we get anxious, we, we start breathing quite shallowly and quite rapidly, which means we breathe out more carbon dioxide than we normally would, which changes the biochemistry of the body. And, and, you know, a lot of people who are borderline panic attacks with anxiety and stress, they will start getting dizzy. They'll also get sort of pins and needles and that kind of thing. So it can cause those. So breath works brilliant. I think, it, do you know what? It goes back to that adapting thing. We get a, so stress and anxiety are different things. So stress is a really natural response to, um, when something changes normally, positive and negative. But when that goes on for a long period of time and we're not coping it with it, we can turn into sort of anxiety. So that's the difference. And we adapt and we adapt and we adapt and we get anxious, but we adapt and we get anxious. So we might not go to that situation. It's not always a conscious decision, but I think it's only when it gets to a point where we can't adapt anymore, we suddenly go, ah, oh, do you know what? I need some help. And here in the UK, the NHS is fantastic. And the first place that people will go is the NHS. And the doctors, they're really great. If they can get you on sort of a counselling course, they will. Or if they can get you doing something other. But they will also help with medication. And some people do need that and some people don't. And I think there's a lack of education as to all the different things out there that can help. And for some people, it's they're at the end of what they can do. So they start looking. Or other people, they are kind of more inclined to go and have a look for natural alternatives. The natural alternatives to me is um, very interesting because specifically because of the work it requires. So breath work. Breath work is not something from, you know, some tech invention from the uh, 22nd century. Um, breath work has been used forever and ever and people understood how you can control a lot of elements of your body simply by controlling your, your breath. Even at this moment, you know, you you can decide by practicing certain breathing techniques to control your emotions, control your anxiety, control your stress, etc. But why is it so hard to bloody spend five minutes doing breath work? As someone who is just as equally guilty as everyone else of not always doing exactly what is best for me, 
I think if you're in a stressed out situation, lots of studies have shown that you're not always thinking in the most logical way. So if you're stressed, you're your, your adrenaline is going, your, your cortisol is going, and it literally changes the way your body works and your mind works. So if you're stressed, you're, you're not digesting brilliantly well, you're not healing brilliantly well, your heart's going, because you're basically in fight and flight, even on a smaller level. But it also means that your mind will become more focused on threats. Because if you're in a stressed out situation, the thing you're really important to look out for is threats. So you're not sitting there thinking, right, I need to make sure I go to bed. I need to make sure I've got my, you know, I've gone for my walk. I, I need to make sure I've, I've drunk my water and I need to do, make sure I do my breathing. That's not, that's kind of the fluffy stuff on the outside. You're, you're just focused on how am I not going to get told off? How am I going to make sure I pay the bills? How, how am I going to make sure that everything is okay? So I think actually that's kind of more what's happening. So you need to kind of just drop things in and, and try and get routines. Routines are really good to build with people. If you can build stuff in with something they already do, that's much easier. Like, okay, once you've cleaned your teeth, you do your breath work because, you you know, we're, we're trained as kids to clean our teeth every single day, twice a day. So if you can put a post-it note next to the mirror, breath work now, you know you've got to do that next and you can build in that good habit. But I think that's one of the reasons is that when we are stressed and anxious, we our focus changes. When did you discover breath work? Oh, for yourself, you know, I say discover. Yeah. Uh, discover for yourself. For myself, uh, so a friend is is very much into Wim Hof, mm. um, and that must have been about seven or eight years ago that I first started looking into that and and working with you know some that's quite complicated and, and time consuming and, and is amazing. It does some amazing stuff, but I kind of try and introduce really simple things with my clients. So just square breathing, just simple breathing techniques that they can fit in anywhere and anytime. So emotional therapy technique, herbal therapy. Uh, is there anything else on the horizon that tickles you to um, want to grasp and want to start using on yourself or patients? Yeah, neurolinguistic programming is is probably next. And that's how our brain um, processes certain words and how you can, you can change using certain words to improve your life. So, uh, gosh, a long, long time ago, I went to do a Tony Robbins, big Tony Robbins thing. Um, and he was all about have an awesome day. Now I'm British. Have a nice day. And I kind of sat there at the end of this and went, I want you to have an awesome day. I don't want you to have a nice day. I want you to have an awesome day. So I started using that with people and people were like, oh yeah, actually that's really nice. I like that. And that kind of started getting me interested in just the simple use of words. And, and you know, the, the most important words, the ones we say to ourselves every single day, all day. And I think- So I was going to ask, yeah, even words that you silently say to yourselves from within? Really powerful. Really, really powerful. Wow. So I'm looking into neurolinguistic programming next. So it's neurolinguistic programming. NLP. NLP. Yeah. So that's something that anyone can really use on themselves There's as a foundation. There's there to, to help you do that. And just, you know, I think one of the things I actually say to people is like, you know, the, the voice in your head, if you had somebody you loved, would you say what's going on in your head to that person? And often they'll just go, no. Absolutely not. Absolutely. Of course I wouldn't do that. It's like, well, why are you saying it to yourself? And that starts getting people thinking about the language they're using for themselves. And I would love to be much more specific with that and say, exchange this, do that, use these words instead. And, and it could be much more powerful. So that's, that's on the, on the horizon for this year. Just out of interest as well, um, with the arth arthritis, um, is there any natural remedies that you take, um, to keep it, maintain it or heal it as much as you can? 
I mean, I personally use turmeric, a lot of turmeric. It's powerful, powerful anti-inflammatory. Eating. Eating, cooking, all the above. Yeah, and so that's your main focus when it yeah. comes to that is turmeric? That 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 does it for me. That's that's really good for yeah. me. There yeah. are other herbs that are much more potent, but as an everyday, just easy thing to pop into your diet, I just cook with loads of turmeric. It tastes pretty good. Absolutely. And um, as, and if you don't, like, have, I don't know if you've gone through a period of a few days, a few weeks of not consuming any turmeric, um, if you've felt a difference? I, I, I cook. <laughs> so yeah. I, it's in all of it. So it's fine. <laughs> I haven't gone that that way. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah, so You don't know. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. Um, please tell people where they can uh, find you. Um, also, what, what you offer. Um, and... And yeah, it was honestly a uh, it's it's a pleasure having you here with us. Um, I'll, I'll give you the stage in a moment, but I just want to say that it's something that is very interesting. That obviously has a lot of health benefits to it. Um, really, everything that you practice. Um, so we are here to to promote it, to promote the idea of people asking questions and investigating and not being um, stopped by these dead ends that they think that they face because the doctor couldn't solve their issue or because that specific therapy or that specific modality or therapist that they saw couldn't solve their issue does not mean that there aren't more alternative options out there. Uh, so everyone should investigate for themselves and not rely on other people because, as you mentioned, a lot of the techniques that um, that you've learned and that you, you really try and pass on to people so that they can build their own foundations for themselves. Uh, so please, tell people where they can find you, what you offer, um, and then we'll wrap things up. Cool. I mean, first of all, thank you ever so much for giving me this platform to to share with people exactly that. You know, there's loads out there that you can be doing and trying and what works for one person won't work for another. So just keep trying there. There usually is an answer or something which can make your life better. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, I work one to one with people. I have online courses. I have some books on Amazon. Um, so my website is uh, thenadaraprocess.com and it's N-A-D-A-R-R-A process.com. Um, I'm... Um, I've got a Facebook account um, and I've got sort of um, Instagram. So I'm usually putting stuff up on there, either about herbs or just tips and tricks. Before Christmas, I did a, a little sort of couple of shows where it tips and tricks about making Christmas less stressful because it's not great for everybody. Um, I also do Teapot Tuesday where I use my selection of teapots um, and I make different teas and explain what you can use the teas for and the herbs that are in there. So that's, those are the main ways of, of um, basically getting hold of me and um, come see what I do and, and hopefully learn some things that will empower you. And if you want to work with me, please come, you know, give us a shout and we'll see what I can do for you. Well, I hope you have an awesome day. Thank you. And you. Um, Margaret, it was a pleasure. Thank you very much Thank for being so here. Much. <laughs>